0: Welcome back to another Lost Ladies of Lip mini episode, everyone. I'm your host, Kim Askew.
1: And I'm your other host, Amy Helms. So we just rang in 2022 a few days ago, which seems like as good a time as any to sort of take stock and deal with assorted odds and ends for this podcast, right? Yes. Yes last year, we talked about New Year's resolutions, which I am not that good at making or keeping. (laughs) But what I am good at is a good old fashioned New Year's purge. I was in full Marie Kondo mode over the holidays, gave me a little time to do some organizing. Have you ever done that sort of Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. She's Mm -hmm. the author of The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, right?
0: Yeah. Oh my God, totally. And in fact, forget about spring cleaning. Every year, I'm all about holiday cleaning. Okay. Maybe not cleaning. Eric would argue with me about my choice of words there. (laughs) Purging is right. Like getting rid of stuff. I'm not the best at cleaning, but I'll get rid of things because I want to get rid of the old stuff. So I have room for all the new stuff. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of sparking joy, we agreed that we needed to talk about our favorite other podcast of the year, Once Upon a Time at Bennington College, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was written and hosted by writer Lily Analik, and the series takes a deep dive into a small liberal arts college in Vermont and how it shaped the careers of Donna Tart. Brett Easton Ellis and my favorite Jonathan Lethem, all of whom were at the school at the same time in the early nineteen eighties. Enthralling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yep. I literally was chomping at the bit every week for the latest episode to drop. I couldn't. I I was beside myself. And Mike, <laughs> my husband, he was super into it too. Okay, I remember driving to meet you a couple of different times
0: and listening to it on the way there, and then we would talk about it. I mean. I was actually enjoying getting in the car and driving around LA for any excuse to listen to this podcast.
1: Right, it made LA traffic variable. Absolutely. And the way Lily Annalick
0: like just talks about everything. Every sentence sounds like it's going to be salacious, even if it isn't. She just
1: has that skill. She's kind of letting you be a fly on the wall at Bennington College in the early 80s, 1982. Mm -hmm. I kept texting this podcast to all my friends and urging everyone, like, Mm -hmm. you've got to stop everything. And this is a podcast you need to listen to. And I would always preface it by saying, I'm not really a Brett Easton Ellis kind of person. Mm -hmm. It's not my favorite but just do it. And I have a new appreciation for him. Me too. And I want to go back and read mm-hmm. Less Than Zero. Me too. I still, American Psycho, oh my God, that was hard. As Lily goes into. But yeah. she takes us back to his teenage years in Los Angeles, which was fascinating, especially since we live in LA. Yes. To be able to picture all that and see yeah. how it shaped him. And then going back and forth between him and Donna Tart and her story, and just all the characters at Bennington College. Oh, I was
0: constantly Googling people named Brick and-
1: Oh, Bricks. Uh, somebody, yeah.
0: somebody horse, Madeline Horseman or whatever, like Maddie Horseman. I was
1: like trying to find these people. I looked up all their pictures. I totally did. I read yeah. the Esquire article that sort of inspired the podcast. Yeah. And I gasped when she found the real life people from The Secret History. Oh, totally.
0: And all the little details like- the apricot scarf. There's a whole thing on of the that professor. Next. Yes, yeah. and yes, like, yes. When and the Carly says,
1: Simon connection with the It song. was an oh.
0: Alfa Romeo. And the B side of The Police is Every Breath You Take. I mean, oh my God, I just get chills talking about it right now.
1: A lot of you probably already know about it, but if you don't, we are fully championing this one. I think it would be a great springboard for a movie. Or oh, a TV yeah. Series. Or a TV series. I mean,
0: oh, and can I also, just I know we're getting very excited because we love this, but I want to talk about Jonathan Lethem. I've read his book since like the 90s, since before Motherless Brooklyn. I've loved him for the longest time and just getting to see how his story was woven in there. And he was kind of the outsider. And I'm not going to say much more because I don't want to give anything away, but watching his origin story and how it was woven in with that of Donna Tartt and Brad Easton Ellis and how they all knew each other, like more than
1: knew each other. I mean, it's, just, oh my God, it's incredible. It gave me such nostalgia for the 80s too. Mm-hmm. I just wish I could take a time machine just for <sighs> the music. And just go back and for the music mm-hmm. and, the, um, and the Brideshead Revisited whole yes.
0: element. Oh my God. If we had gone to Bennington College, we would totally have been dressing like Brideshead Revisited. And one of the things they talk about is sort of making their experience of what college should be, your idea of what maybe going to Oxford or Cambridge is like, to recreate that for themselves. I would have bought into that completely. I would have been carrying a teddy bear around.
1: The scarves. I know. Okay, so... We should mention that um, Brett Easton Ellis and Jonathan Lethem participated in the podcast. So we get to hear their interviews and they talk and they read from their essays and they're
0: completely honest. It seems like and open and very comfortable talking about it, which also just makes it that much better.
1: Yeah. On the other hand, Donna Tartt did not participate in the podcast. And what are your thoughts on how she's portrayed and like, um, yeah, so she's famously a very private
0: person. So not surprising that she wouldn't say much though. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Latham actually lets them read letters that she wrote to him, which I was kind of like, oh, I, w- I wonder. I I have a feeling he must have gotten her okay to do that as a somewhat friend of her- hers. I don't I, know. I d- I probably don't know. not. But I mean, wow. I mean, that seems like an invasion. That's a whole other thing. That seems a bit of an unfair thing to do. But I'm glad he did because I loved hearing those letters. Um, but I don't think she comes across as... Um, you know, she comes across as um, very driven. Let's put it that way. That's uh, maybe a soft way of saying very driven, very ambitious, kind of doing what she needs to do to create the world she wants to create.
1: I don't think Lily Annalick had a, I think she was trying to be very um, objective in, you know, telling Donna's story. But when we get to the interviews with some of the inspirations behind the secret history, those guys are pretty scathing at times. So it's very interesting. Everyone should make their own judgment. And I do wonder if they were a little harsh toward her because she was a girl. You know? That's and a great just question. didn't like her being in their midst, their little special club. Yeah. But, and you she, know, she was trying to elbow Yeah, him.
0: And Lily Analect says from the beginning that they always had sort of a negative perspective of her and they were bringing that into whatever they said about her and to take it with a grain of salt in that way. It certainly makes for a more interesting story to make her a little, she almost comes across as a little tiny bit Lady Macbeth or something.
1: Yeah. And then I'm not going to give it away because it's in the last episode, but there's an anecdote about something that happened in terms of Donna Tart's inspiration for The Little Friend where it's a question of using somebody else's personal history yep. to inspire that book um and there was some hard feelings
0: yeah didn't that remind you of Willa Cather and Dorothy Canfield Fisher and their whole feud
1: yep that's the first thing i thought of yeah i mean yeah. we talked about that whole question of mm-hmm. like as a writer can you have dibs on somebody else's mm-hmm. story? You know, is that fair? I mean, yes. I think I think you can. I, I think all's fair in writing.
0: Especially if you can live with it, honestly. I mean, it's like if you can live with somebody getting mad at you and you know, and maybe not speaking to you forever, if it's worth it to you for your art, then I guess you can. You can be a bad art friend.
1: It does seem like there were things that she easily could have changed mm-hmm. to make it not so yes. Even for the secret history too. There Mm -hmm. were maybe things that she didn't need to have it be that directly lifted from real life Mm -hmm. to still tell the story well. But I mean, we all love the secret history. So I
0: wouldn't want the secret history to be changed. So
1: yeah. Yeah. I I mean and wow. And when
0: you do hear the source and her life and the people that she knew and how she turned that into what she did, I mean, it just makes me respect her writing in that book even more. 100%.
1: 100%. And she's always kind of had an air of mystery about mm-hmm. her. She keeps everything close to the vest and a bit protected. And and she's wearing a vest usually too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's convenient. <laughs> so, but I think this podcast just preserves that concept of her, yes. right? Even though things were revealed about her, she's almost more mysterious than ever now. Yeah. <laughs> to me.
0: Yeah. I want to reread all the things from everyone. Yes. In
1: the podcast. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom line, Lily Annalick had the difficult task of telling Donna Tartt's story without her participation. But it reminded me of that famous Esquire article. I don't know if you know it, Kim, by Gay Talese. Frank Sinatra has a cold. Um, Better a cold than COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) But this is um, an article that's kind of legendary. Gay Talese was supposed to write a cover story profile of Sinatra, but was told that Sinatra had a quote unquote cold, meaning he couldn't do the interview. Yeah, And so Talise is like, what do I do now? I have to turn something in. Well, he went on to write a story about Sinatra by interviewing about a hundred people who were in Sinatra's orbit. So his dry cleaner, you know? anybody that kind of dealt with him in any way and the resulting story that he came up with is now sort of what they teach every would-be reporter in journalism 101 when it comes to writing a story on an unwilling subject i mean the profiler's revenge yeah maybe just sit down with the guy give him 30 minutes yep (laughs) or 15 or whatever Yeah, and getting back to how Donna Tart is portrayed in Once Upon
0: a Time at Bennington, it drives home the point of how tricky it is to tell someone else's life story, right?
1: Yeah, um, there's a new biography out on Elizabeth Hardwick. Uh, the Mm -hmm. writer and literary critic, and she dreaded the idea of somebody eventually writing about her life. In the 1970s, she wrote a letter to the poet Elizabeth Bishop in which she said, I can't tell you how I dread the future with biographies. Fortunately, I'll be dead before most of them come. So yeah, writing biography or telling somebody else's life story is always going to be somewhat subjective, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. And incidentally, the name of that biography on Hardwick um, is called A Splendid Intelligence, and it was written by Kathy Curtis.
1: Also, Elizabeth Hardwick, we should mention, wrote the introduction to a novel that we're going to be featuring in an upcoming episode soon. It's Tess Schlesinger's The Unpossessed. So when I saw Elizabeth Hardwick's name in the intro, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, there she is. Yep. Um, But getting back to biographies, I think I can confidently state that if anybody was going to ever try to write my story, including you, Kim, Mm -hmm. they would get it so wrong.
0: Yep. Yep, definitely.
1: Yeah. The flip side of that is probably also true. I'm not sure I could write your whole life story. How could I possibly know everything, right? I don't know that you can ever really know another person fully.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, that idea of interviewing everyone around someone, it's probably the way that you would get closer to the truth. Anyway, so, yeah, I think we really try to keep this in mind whenever we're trying to paint a portrait of the lost ladies we feature. And sometimes we're working with limited information. And that's why we were so thrilled this fall when we received an email from Brooke Ashley. She's actually the goddaughter of Dare Wright, whom we featured in a mini episode back in September. If you'll remember, it was about Dare Wright's The Lonely Doll. I love that she reached out. Yeah. So Brooke Ashley, Dare's Godchild and author of Dare Right and the Lonely Doll, actually wrote in to clarify some statements we made based on our research of Dare. We feel so privileged that Brooke wrote us and gave us this additional information. Um, there are quite a few points that offer a different perspective on Dare Rights. And as her Godchild, we think it's important that we share these with you. And we're posting the entire letter on our website, lostladieslid.com. And thank you, Brooke Ashley, for writing in. It really means a lot to us that you reached out and gave us an opportunity to provide some additional context on Dare Wright's life. So go back, listen to the episode if you want, maybe, and also visit lostladiesloved.com so you can get fully um, Brooke Ashley's perspective. And again, we want to thank Brooke so much. It's always exciting when someone writes us who has even more knowledge on a particular subject than we do.
1: Okay. So last thing for this episode, um, Kim, anything fun and exciting that you read this year that, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be a lost lady that you want to talk about. Oh my gosh, <laughs> talking about more books. Yeah,
0: let's do it. Okay, so um, some of the books that I managed to fit in that weren't for the podcast that I absolutely love. So I'm only gonna mention ones that I loved. Um, I'm super picky about what I read as you know, Amy. So forget all the social media hype. These are the real deal. These are the ones that I loved. Um, there's Colson Whitehead's Harlem Shuffle. It's a crime novel set in 1960s Harlem and it has a, a noir feel that it. It really appeals to me um, and great writing, so I recommend it. And you've probably also heard of Lauren Groff's Matrix, um, and I want to loan that to you, Amy. It's been getting lots of well-deserved praise. It's amazing. It's a historical novel loosely based on the life of Marie de France, really loosely. But it's really all about ambition and power from a purely female perspective for a change, which is especially great.
1: Okay. Good. Yes. Yeah. Add that to my pile. (laughs)
0: pile. I have another one from your pile and this is not by a woman, but it's R.C. Sheriff's of Fortnight in September. And it's a New York Review of Books book. And it's the best. It's about a working class family's annual vacation. And it is so good. It's like one of those books that just leaves you with a good feeling. Is it funny? It's funny. It's witty. It's a little poignant too, but just uplifting at the same time. Um, so another one I read this year. Oh my God. I'm a huge fan of Rachel Cusk and her new book, second place. She's a genius. And I can't recommend this book enough. A swim in the pond in the rain, which is by George Saunders. It's so good. He breaks down Chekhov stories and it's based on his course at Syracuse university. I know.
1: I, know, I, I love George Saunders and I just wasn't sure the Chekhov angle, like if I yeah. didn't know the stories.
0: He breaks them down, and you can actually read them as part of it. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so you don't, yeah, it's it's not like you have to know them from memory or anything. Oh, yeah. okay, good. Yeah, okay. he has passages and sometimes f- f- the full story, um, and he breaks it down and talks about it. And it, uh, also, not just for people who love to read, but also writers, I think would get a lot out of this Mm -hmm. Um, And then Excellent Women by Barbara Pym. And I read that for um, one of Sadie Stein's McNally Jackson seminars. It was my first introduction to Barbara Pym. And I can't wait to read more. And also Sadie Stein was one of our guests in the previous
1: year. And also she's coming back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Yeah, our first returning guest. And I read Excellent Women also. I think you gave it to me when you were done. And I loved (laughs) it. And I would love to do a whole episode on Barbara Pym. So hopefully, sometime in 2022, we can get that on the agenda. Yeah. On my end, I'm a nonfiction girl. So the one I read this year that I loved, actually, I think I mentioned it last week when we were discussing Virginia Cowles. I read the 2019 biography of Woman of No Importance, which is about the World War II spy Virginia Hall. And it was incredible. I'm pretty sure it's going to be made into a movie. But along those same lines, this is one I haven't read. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but it came out this year. The author is Rebecca Donner, and it's a biography of her great-great-aunt, Mildred Harnack, who was part of the German resistance during World War II, and it's called All the Frequent Trouble of Our Days. And that is one that I've got to get around to soon. I've been desperate to read it. I also read Anne Seba's biography of Ethel Rosenberg, which came out this year. Also, just want to give a shout out to a book that I just finished called Gentleman Overboard. It's by a lost man of literature, and I found out about it through our guest Brad Bigelow from neglectedbooks.com. This is a book that was just put out by Boiler House Press recently, but it's also come back into print in a number of other languages as well. It's a really slim volume. It's comic, but also really poignant and profound. Basically, the story is about a guy on an ocean liner, and he slips and falls overboard. And so he's treading water in the ocean for the entirety of the book. Oh, wait, um, does he have a volleyball? that's Castaway, Um, But yeah, it was really good. And another novel that I have on hold at the library, and it's probably going to take forever for my turn, but I really want to read a more Towel's Lincoln Highway.
0: Oh, me too. I've heard that's good. And I read A Gentleman in Moscow, and I loved it. So yeah, I definitely want to read The Lincoln Highway.
1: Yeah. And he did Rules of Civility. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we loved Rules of Civility. Loved it. Yeah. I yeah. know. And then finally, because I listen to audiobooks a lot while walking my dog. And now that the Bennington podcast is done, I need something else. So Aww, I just started listening. By Bennington to, podcast. Oh, I didn't want it to end. Mm-mm. But anyway, actually, I'm having fun right now because I'm listening to Eve Babbitt's Sex and Rage on audiobook. I decided with her recent passing that I wanted to read a bit more of her. And same with Bell Hook. So I have Ain't I a Woman downloaded and Eve Babbitt's. Amazing. And surprise, surprise! Guess what book I still haven't finished, y'all? Oh,
0: haha, is it the the Clarissa Countdown of the twenty first century? <laughs> I made a
1: lot of headway. And <laughs> Rosemary Kelty, if you're out there, I'm wondering if you have finished it because I know you were starting it. Um, oh yeah, get back to the us last six Rose months Mary. or so, and you probably beat me to the finish line. If so, let us know.
0: Yeah. So that might not be all for Carissa, but it's all for today's podcast. (laughs) We're looking forward to sharing a lot more interesting books with you in the coming year. And if you'd like to know in advance what those books are, be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter over at lostladiesoflit.com.
1: Happy New Year, everyone. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone, and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Amy Helms and Kim Askew.